0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: Before man was ever even created, God already had a rescue plan in place. Now wait a minute. That means that God knew we were going to rebel against Him before He ever even created us. Now wait a minute. Because that means... That God created us knowing he would have to redeem us. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a love far beyond anything that you and I can possibly even fathom.
0: When Jesus came into Jerusalem for the last time, he was greeted by crowds of people cheering, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was thought to be a declaration of belief that the Messiah had arrived. Jesus' disciples must have been very excited as they contemplated the possibility that their teacher was going to be embraced by Israel and declared their Messiah. But less than a week later, Jesus was hanging on a cross, and the disciples were scattered.
1: Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Quite literally, at the cross, our penalty was crossed out. And you see it. You see that Jesus didn't just stumble on to the cross. He had a plan that included a payment
0: i'm rick freeman welcome to a special palm sunday edition of crosswalk today we take a break from our current series to focus on our lord's sacrificial death pastor clay is taking us to luke chapter 22 where jesus and his disciples are gathered in the upper room to commemorate the passover Jesus knew that He was only a few hours from the cross, so He taught His disciples to keep a new commemoration to help us all remember the price our God paid, that we might be set free from sin and death. The Lord's Supper isn't a ceremony or a ritual. It's a time of deep reflection and appreciation for what God did for us. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk.
1: Um, I don't know if you heard this or not, but this past uh, Thursday, uh, the oldest living man in the world passed away. Y'all hear this? This is not a joke. This is for real. The oldest living man in the world uh, died this past uh, Thursday. Walter uh, Brun- Brennan or Brunan or something like that was his name. I forget offhand. Um, but anyway, uh, Walter, in an interview this past fall, listed what he considered uh, the keys to a long life. So I don't know if you want to take notes or not. Now let me say this, uh, in the article I read, there's no indication in the article that I read that Walter Brennan was a believer in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in what I read in the article, I'm pretty sure he probably wasn't, but I, I don't want to uh, assume that. So uh, whatever you want to think about some of the things that he, uh, that he had to say, this is interesting, what he said were the keys to a long life, and here's what the world's oldest man said were the secrets. First, he said, embrace change. Even when the change slaps you in the face, every change is good, according to the oldest man in the world. Uh, second thing he said was, eat two meals a day. That's all you need. He said it, not, not me. Work as long as you can. That money's going to come in handy. Well, that's pretty wise, especially if you're planning on living to 114. You're probably going to need some, and you know, that's, that's pretty good. Um, the more you do for others, the better shape you're in. Help others. The more you do for others, the better shape you're in. Well, that's, that's nice. We certainly want to do for others and that sort of thing. Um, and then I think this is the last one. He says, accept death. Now, this is the one that's interesting and the one that I have a little bit of an issue with. Accept death. He says, we're going to die. Now, that's certainly true, barring the generation that, of believers that are alive when Christ returns and raptures the church. Uh, Everybody is going to die. Some people are scared of dying. Never be afraid to die. Now, I got a little bit of problem with that, quite honestly. Now, if if you know you belong to the body of Christ, if you know your eternal destiny, then I say, yes, you have no reason to fear death. But if you do not have that assurance, and in the last part of the statement, he says, never be afraid to die because you're born to die. I don't believe that. I don't believe you're born to die. In fact, I believe that we're born to live. Born to live life to its fullest. Born to live life in in abundance as God defines that. And born to live life forever, eternal. I don't believe we're born to die. I think we're born to live. With one notable exception. There was one was, quite literally, born to die. Open your Bible today to Luke chapter 22. The passage will be up on the screen as well. We're going to read Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 20 this morning. The account of the, the Lord's Supper, the, the, the upper room experience. We were there last week as we looked at Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and we're taking a break from our series Uh, on discipleship this morning, uh, but we're still in that upper room where last week Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and this week he introduces to them this commemoration. It's kind of, of, to me, it's kind of fascinating to think that in a little while, you and I, those of us who know Christ, are going to be invited to the table, the same table in a sense, I know it's not the same literal table, but the same table that the disciples gathered around 2,000 years ago. The church has been commemorating this act. Luke chapter 22, beginning this morning in verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. It was part of that That holiday, that commemoration that I mentioned last week, this Passover, the celebration of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Verse 8, and then Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Father, thank you that we can be here again today. Thank you that we can read your word, which is truth, without any mixture of error, that we can reflect upon what you have done and what it means for our lives. I pray for each person in this room right now. You know, I've been praying for them all week. Lord, I pray that our hearts, our minds would be open and receptive to what you would say, that our spirits would be stirred and moved to respond as you lead each person in this room today. I am honored to be your messenger boy, and may your word impact our hearts and our lives, and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. It is the account of the Last Supper. I mentioned last week that the disciples had gathered in this upper room. In Luke 22, we find a little more details about how they ended up in that upper room. It's kind of a strange situation there where the disciples say, well, okay, you know, where do you want us to do this? And Jesus well, you go, go find a guy carrying a water pitcher on his head, follow him, you know, the whole deal, uh, which is kind of bizarre, but shows the sovereignty of God at work. And they go, and they, and they prepare this meal, and they're gathered in that upper room. Last week, we looked at the, the, as Jesus uh, washed the disciples' feet in that picture of servanthood that should uh, be emulated in our lives. Today, we come to the act of the Lord's Supper. ...and what it teaches us. Because there are some things that it teaches us. Today is Palm Sunday. It commemorates the day, just a few days, less than a week before Jesus was crucified. It commemorates the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem... ...for what would be the last time in his earthly life. There was a lot of speculation surrounding his entering into Jerusalem at this time. He was riding on a donkey... And when word began to surface in Jerusalem, when the, uh, you know, the gossip lines got to flying around, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. People had heard of him. They'd heard of some of these miracles he'd performed. They'd heard of the things he had done and the things that he had had taught. And as I mentioned last week, the people of Israel were looking for their Messiah, their deliverer, to throw off the, the bondage of the Roman government and restore the glory to Israel. They were looking for that. And so, uh, people are questioning, they're wondering, they're discussing, could this Jesus of Nazareth, could he be this Messiah? Could he be our long-awaited Messiah? They were actually discussing the topic. And so, word got around that Jesus is coming, he's coming into town. And the people, uh, with this air of anticipation and this air of excitement, began to line the roads in the, in the streets as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And they began to wave palm branches, which I don't have time to explain all that today, but it was prophetic... Uh, symbolic, messianic kind of thing. They began to wave these palm branches and they began to lay some of the branches down on on the roads and they began to lay their cloaks down on the roads as as, uh, Jesus rode in on this donkey, walking on the branches and walking on the, the cloaks and the people began to shout. Matthew chapter 21 tells us that the people began to shout. They began to shout this, the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, "'Hosanna to the Son of David!' Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, at least part of that statement was taken from the 118th Psalm, which is considered a messianic psalm, meaning that it was written prophetically before an event occurred. It was written prophetically to point to the one who would come someday as Messiah, deliverer anointed one and so they're shouting out hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord it's a very exciting time as jesus enters into jerusalem now there are those that sometimes get confused about what jesus purpose was which was the case back then they're shouting, they're excited, they're, they're thinking, all right, Messiah is coming. But as I said a moment ago, and as I said last week, they're looking for the Messiah, the deliverer, who is going to, to deliver them from Roman bondage. He's going to set Israel free. And in fact, their Messiah had come. And in fact, he had come to set them free, but not from Rome, but from something far worse, from sin. He had come to deliver them. And still today, people are sometimes confused about Jesus' purpose in coming. His coming, by the way, is unquestioned by all but a, a handful of people who would, who would simply refuse to acknowledge uh, the overwhelming historical evidence. Remember, not just, not just Scripture, not just the Bible. Secular historians of that day confirm that a Jesus of Nazareth lived in Israel in the 1st century AD he lived the bigger questions surround his death and again not necessarily how he died because secular historians even of that day acknowledge that a Jesus of Nazareth lived 1st century Israel Palestine area that he got some sort of gathering around him and that he was put to death by the Roman government he was crucified the questions, though, have to do with why was he crucified? Why did he die? Because there are those, you may or may not be aware of this, there are those who, who believe that Jesus did not intend to die on the cross. That Jesus got um, caught up in uh, political intrigue. That he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That he that he made the wrong people mad. He had good intentions and he had good teachings and 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 people. Some people like that the idea that he that he taught. You know that you know do to others what you would have them to do to you. They they like his compassion, but but they don't like the idea of the divinity of Jesus. The idea of Jesus as God. And so it is argued that. That he, had, that he just got in the wrong place at the wrong time, made the wrong people mad. He, he didn't know what happened. And before he knew what had happened, he wouldn't play ball with the religious leaders who were plugged into the political system. And so, and so when he wouldn't play ball with them, they manipulated that system. And before Jesus even knew what had happened, he was on his way to the cross. And he was crucified. That is the argument by those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as God. But like the idea of Jesus... As man, that's why this passage in Luke chapter 22 is so important for us today. Because here's what it teaches us, ladies and gentlemen the Lord's Supper, what we just read described here, teaches us that Jesus did not just stumble onto the cross. He didn't. Jesus didn't just stumble onto the cross. And you can see that, you can see it in his plan. You can see it in this plan that God had. Let me just read a few of these verses back to you again. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, watch this, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Well, wait a minute. How does he know he's going to suffer? Because God already had a plan. Look at verse 22. For indeed, the Son of Man, watch this, is going as has been determined. It's already been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed, referring to Judas and his responsibility for his own free will and the actions that he made. But clearly, Jesus is stating that he is fulfilling the plan. It's the plan. Look at verse 37. We didn't read that far today. But, for I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And here's what was written. And he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. Referring to Isaiah uh, chapter 53, I believe it is. Um, and the, the prophecy that, that the Messiah would be put to death with, among thieves, the lawless Jesus was not some young, naive dreamer, starry-eyed dreamer that, that just didn't realize what was going on around him and, and just somehow ended up getting killed. No, he's God, and it was always God's plan, ladies and gentlemen. It was always God's plan. Look at this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1. You probably read it. Before, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, it was the precious blood of Christ. We'll talk about that in a moment. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Now watch this. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But He has now revealed Him to you in these last days. Now, wait a minute. Long before the world began? Well, now that means that before man was ever even created, mankind, God already had a rescue plan in place. Now, wait a minute. That means, if God already had a rescue plan in place, that means that God knew we were going to rebel against Him before He ever even created us. Now, wait a minute. Because that means that God created us knowing He would have to redeem us. Knowing that He would have to have a rescue plan in place. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a love far beyond anything that you and I can possibly even fathom that God would love us that much. And you see it in His plan. Jesus didn't just stumble onto the cross. And you see it, by the way, in His payment. Look at uh, verses 19 and 20. And when He had taken some bread and given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this, what I'm showing you here, this demonstrates. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. It's not just His plan that shows us He didn't stumble onto the cross, but it is His payment, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, I, 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 if that's all you've got, it's fine. And, and I've used them before. It's, it's just fine. It's, I don't mean any offense to any church that does, does this. But one of the reasons I prefer us not to use the little individual crackers, you know, bread, when we do the Lord's Supper, is because of the symbolic image of, of the idea of the breaking of the bread and what it pictures for us, one of the reasons, when we partake of the Lord's Supper as a church, one of the reasons that we invite you to come forward, rather than, than serve you, we invite you to come forward and to, to take that bread and to take that cup. One of the reasons is because we want you to take that bread and we want you to break it and to realize the symbolism of what it was that Christ did for you and for me. Do you understand the symbolism? I mean, do you really, do we really understand the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of the cup that it was for me? His body was broken. His blood was shed for me. Look at this, uh, Psalm 22. Look at this passage of Scripture. I am poured out like water, And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. This is one of those, as I mentioned a few moments ago, messianic psalms written a thousand years before Christ was even born. Written before crucifixion was even invented. And already pointing us to the payment that would be made. The price. The ransom. Speaking of that, Isaiah said this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their face, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Of us all. Again, written 700 years before Jesus was even born, and already pointing us to the payment that would be made on our behalf. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Quite literally, at the cross, our penalty was crossed out. And you see it. You see that Jesus didn't just stumble on to the cross, He had a plan that included a payment. And you can see it. One more. You can see it in his promise as well. And this is where it really gets exciting, quite honestly. Look at this. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I'll never eat this again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 18. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on. Until the kingdom of God comes. And then one more. Verse 28 and following. And you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom. I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Over and over and over again. Jesus makes it clear what Walter Brennan never got. You were created for life, not for death. And that, that Jesus' life on earth was not the end. Our life on earth is not the end. That there is an eternity waiting each and every one of us. And that God is preparing a kingdom for those who are part of his family. And Jesus in no uncertain terms spells out, this is what's going to happen. I won't eat this bread again. I'm about to go to the cross, but I'll eat it again in the kingdom. I'm not going to taste the fruit of the vine anymore because I'm about to suffer for you. But I'll drink it again in the kingdom. And you're invited to my table. You're invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. It is the promise of God. I know we spent a year uh, last year. We spent a whole year in the book of Revelation. But could we ever get tired of reading this? Revelation chapter 21 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, the throne of authority, saying, "'Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people.'" And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I just say amen right there. (laughs) He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is the promise of God, ladies and gentlemen, that Christ would return, that he would establish a kingdom on earth. It wasn't going to happen then like some of them thought it was, but it was going to happen. It is going to happen. And as rightfully spoken in the Hallelujah Chorus and he shall reign forever and ever. It's the promise of God. Now, I doubt if the disciples understood all of the implications of what Jesus was trying to teach them that night, what he was trying to show them. But quite honestly, the more important question for each of us here today is do you? Do you understand What Jesus was trying to teach us. Do you understand the implications of what he was showing us? Because what he was showing us was he has a plan. He's had a rescue plan in place from before we were even created. And that plan, listen to me, that plan includes you. If you would take up what God offers for you. That plan included a payment that would cost God his life, his blood shed. It was the payment. Because you and I owed a debt that we could never pay ourselves. No how, no way. Couldn't do it. Again, the prophet Isaiah uh, writes this in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, watch this. I will make them as white as snow. Though they are like crimson, I will make them As white as wool. God's plan and God's payment provided God's promise to us, ladies and gentlemen, a promise of eternal life, life full, life abundant, and life forever.
0: What a plan! What a payment! What a promise! Those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior owe everything to Him. His love for us is more than we can comprehend, but it shouldn't be more than we can appreciate. How about you? Do you know Him as your Savior? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk.